Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. The guests that are coming on, on are just special friends. I don't know how long Walter and Lori, Lori Hoy have been friends of mine, kind of like forever. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you this one story about him. Then I'm going to ask Walter and Lori, I want you to take the first few moments and talk about your lives. And you'll see, you never see him without the baseball cap and the glasses hanging off the end of his nose, the sunglasses. I've never seen him without them. I think he sleeps with them. He showers with them. It's his distinctive trademark. There's nobody quite like him and his wife. They are a power duo. One time, years ago, when I was pastoring Skyline Church in San Diego, I tried to hire him on the staff. And he, he, he waited for a long time, probably about five seconds. <laughs> and... Uh, and he said, Jim, my credibility in standing for the truth as I do, do is in part because I live in the hood and I'm not willing to leave the hood. I can't tell you how much that moved my heart. Uh, it would be a lot easier to live in San Diego, Southern California, than it is in Oakland, California. And you're going to hear why. Rosemary knows Oakland well. You lived your whole life there, frankly, until until I married we her. We were fine. <laughs> it always sounds worse on the news than it is. Oh, okay. You know the people. Okay. I well, she, she works for the Chamber of Commerce in Oakland, apparently, on the weekends. Okay. But, uh, Walter, I want you to, uh, you and Lori, to take a moment and just talk about yourselves for the first couple minutes. Give your your life story in a couple minutes, if you can, so they'll know who you are. Then we're going to jump in. Um, what happened this uh, last few days in San Francisco in a march for life that is so encouraging, and in Oakland as well. And uh, then, then let's just jump into the heart of the issue on why, why, how did God grab your heart with this issue? Walter and Lori Hoy, welcome to the World Prayer Network. Jim and Rosemary, it's our pleasure to be a part of the world. Prayer Network, and we're just awfully glad to be seeing you guys today. Uh, let me uh, be as brief as, as I can. I, I was sitting in my church, and I was the executive elder in the church. And I got a phone call. And I, I, normally, I have, Jim, I was really good at avoiding phone calls. I knew how to come in, go out, and not get any phone calls, but I, I got this one. Essentially, you mentioned the Catholic Church. They, the Catholic Church literally called me and asked me would I come out to an abortion clinic and help them in their sidewalk counseling efforts. They, they weren't being successful. It was in Oakland. Uh, the sisters just weren't stopping and talking with them. They weren't paying them any attention. So they thought that if a black pastor showed up, that maybe they would stop and talk. Well, Jim, it turned out they were absolutely right. Uh, the sisters would literally walk up to me and say, hey, preacher, <laughs> they, they, they knew, they, they must have heard me. I, maybe I was in their church, I, I don't know. But they'd ask me what was on my sign. My sign simply said, God loves you and your baby, let us help you. And the sisters would want to know, is it true that God loves him? I say, oh, yeah, 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 it's so true that God loves you. Now, she goes to church now, keep this in mind, she knows I'm a preacher. Then she'd say, well, is it true that God loves my baby? And I said, oh, yeah. And for mama, it was never a fetal tissue, a clump of cells, and it was always, always my baby. And then the sisters, you know, they don't mind getting in your face, Jim, so they step right on up, and they say, well, preacher, what you gonna do? 
And it didn't matter. I helped her. It didn't matter. We did whatever we needed to do to help her in her situation. Well, it got to be so popular that ultimately the executive director of the abortion clinic, the, the Oakland mayor, the city council, the chief of police, the city attorney, uh, they all got together and created a law to put me in jail. They literally made standing on a public sidewalk, holding a sign that says, God loves you and your baby, let us help you, illegal. Oh, and, and uh, I had to be at all times eight feet away on a public sidewalk. Well, the sisters, they just walked right up on me. You know, there was no way I could, I could make that work. Ultimately, uh, I ended up going to court, jury, the whole bit. Uh, they found me, found me guilty and they sentenced me to jail and I spent time in jail. What year was that? Well, that's when I first met you, I think, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, 2008, 2009. Okay, okay. That's sometime about when we probably first first met. And mm -hmm. so you spent time in jail, served your time in jail. You got when, and, and how long were you in? And then when you got out, I suppose you said, I better not do that ever again because I don't want to get in trouble, right? <laughs> I was in court and I told the judge after he had, he had sentenced me that as soon as I got out, I was coming right back. And then the court just blew up again. You know, half the court was pro-life, the other half was uh, pro-abortion. Uh, the media was there, the courtroom was packed. And when I said, I'm coming back, uh, they just blew up. The, the security had to take people out to court, calm everybody down. And the judge wanted to resentence me. He couldn't, uh, it was against the law for him to do that. Even the Oakland City Attorney said, no, nah, I've gone as far as I can go. I, I can't do that. And so the judge didn't quit. He literally uh, had me come back a month later to try and resentence me again. It didn't work out. And so I'm really grateful for that. And that has been a big deal in terms of uh, my mindset moving into the pro-life movement. 
And you have continued and you, what, what's the name of the ministry that you operate under? Well, Laura and I, we, we run the Issues for Life, the number four life foundation. And we're dedicated to reaching a black pastors about this issue. Lord, what do you want to add to what he said in, in terms of your life story? And then we're just going to jump right in more of the topic. <laughs> wow. My life story, like 30 seconds or less. Yeah. I'm actually <laughs> from originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Chattanooga happens to be the home of the National Memorial to yeah. the Unborn. The last surgical abortion clinic that was in Chattanooga, Tennessee was bought, was taken over and was transformed into a memorial to life. And it's amazing, the bricks, the stones that they have there commemorating the children that have been lost to the atrocity of abortion. But for me, I'm a part of the 1%. I'm the child conceived in rape and I'm the 1% that they use to justify the 99% of the deaths. My mother was a victim of date rape. My mother turned 17, 44 days before I was born. And my mother graduated from high school nine months after I was born, class valedictorian, straight A's, top student in the class. So you can survive a teenage pregnancy. It's not the end of your life. It's not the end of you. And the things that my mother has accomplished is pretty amazing. I mean, she went on to be a manager, a director at the phone company. She built a custom home in San Jose, a geodesic dome. <laughs> it started out as my idea, but anyway. So, I mean, I'm looking at right now, my cousin is expecting his first grandchild. So that's the third generation of people who are here in California because I exist. My grandmother brought me to California because she wanted to help my mother. And my mother subsequently brought her sister, my cousins. And so we're now looking at three generations of people who are here because my mother chose life. So I have a real big problem when people say, we should have exceptions for rape, incest, and whatever they can make up. And it doesn't, there are no exceptions. God offers every life. And God expects you to honor the life that he has given you, however the circumstances are that you come to be a mother. God knows the end from the beginning. So you need to just trust him yes. and follow through and he'll work it out. Boy, Lori, uh, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to jump in with a bunch more questions. Just uh, personal, both of you know that I'm the father of four adopted children and the yes. oldest of those uh, is a result of a gang rape, was conceived mm -hmm. of a gang rape. And uh, this little 14-year-old girl scared in, I think, three months, laying flat on her back in a hospital with a problem pregnancy 50 miles away from her family with no daddy, no mommy. Uh, she's a hero to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that baby grew up to become a pastor's wife and uh, a wonderful, wonderful pastor's wife. And she was a result conceived through a gang rape. We praise God for the life of Walter and Lori. I'm going to just jump right into the topic and talk to us. 50 years, 50 years at the federal level of killing babies in the womb. Now Roe v. Wade is gone, but now the battle in the States. Just talk to us. Either one of you just jump in and go for it and tell us what we need to know on uh, this. Oh, wait a minute. I want to ask one more thing about the, the marches in San Francisco and Oakland. I had the privilege of uh, speaking for you at your Oakland event once a number of years ago. 
and then that San Francisco. Uh, tell us about those, because I, I think the average person listening across America would be shocked if they knew how many people in San Francisco marched under threats. I remember the early years, I spoke quite a few years ago, but the, er, the earliest years, people were being pelted from the overpasses with, with, right, with, with right. rocks and stuff. And yet they kept marching. Two, two women who started that uh, original march, two Catholic ladies, they would not give up on that one. So uh, talk to us about that so people can have a glimpse of what it was like this weekend in Oakland and in San Francisco. Yeah, those two wonderful ladies, Eva Montaigne yeah. and De Dolores Meehan started this almost 20 years ago. It was their 19th year. And Oakland, we finally got the police to come back out. It's been almost six, seven years since the police have even attempted to come and walk with us or keep our walk safe. And so the police came out in Oakland. Our crowd is much smaller because the violence has been perpetrated against us. You know, we had maybe 40, 50 people. And we walked and, you know, praise God. And, you know, we kept, kept going. We was our 16th year in, in Oakland. In San Francisco, according before to- you leave Oakland, Before you leave Oakland, you right. have walked under great persecution. Nothing yeah. stops the two of you. You have been viciously attacked. You've had gangs unleashed upon you, correct? If you think back to that, what actually occurred, there were two major cases that took us into the murder of innocents. Uh, Henry Wade was the district attorney in the city of Dallas. Jane Rowe, uh, pseudonym uh, for Norma McCarvey in the Dallas area. The entire, the entire case was built on a lie. Most of you are aware of that. Planned Parenthood searched for some young girl that they could exploit and uh, lied about the entire conditions of the conception. Um, I'm going to skip past that by many years. And by the way, they, when the Supreme Court made the case, they did something that had not been to my knowledge. I'm not a Supreme Court case expert, but it's my understanding it's the first time they had used the word penumbra. It's not a word that we use in our language for the most part. A penumbra means a shadow around the edges. If you have the sun here, maybe you have a little penumbra shadow or something around some object. A penumbra was the shadow of the laws. In other words, what they're admitting is the Constitution did not allow abortion. That's why the Dobbs case overthrew it. It's, it's not by, by any means the first, chance, the first time that the Supreme Court has missed it on tragic decisions, wrong decisions, and been overturned by a later court. A penumbra is a nice way of saying there is no such thing as allowance for abortion in the U.S. Constitution. But they saw a shadow there, they claim, and literally made it up. And that's why it will not, it did not stand. And by the way, it's also the same reason why Clarence Thomas made the statement he did as a justice that terrified the left when he said Obergefell would fall for the very same reason. The Obergefell case is the one that uh, so in, uh, established so-called same-sex marriage in, in our nation. The constitution does not for a, for a moment permit any such thing. Now, Jane Rowe, whose name is Norma McCorvey, many of you will remember, years later, she came to Christ. Let me tell you how. I was living in Dallas-Fort Worth at that time. I was a pastor in the mid-cities area of Dallas-Fort Worth, an area I lived in Bedford, a pastor in a suburb called Euless, right by the DFW airport, the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. My friend, Flip Benham, was a leader of the pro-life movement, Operation Rescue there. 
and uh, he took a lot of beating. I, I ended up as the uh, liaison for Operation Rescue, which would block the entrances on Saturday mornings once a month to the killing centers, the abortuaries in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. There were nine in Dallas, there were three in Fort Worth. We would not announce where we were going. I actually, I didn't know myself until early Saturday morning, I'd get a call, this is the location. And hundreds of people would go there and block the entrance. Lots of babies were saved as a result. And by the way, there's a whole theology biblically for civil disobedience, nullification. Civil disobedience was followed even in the scripture. You, you look at the, the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, who refused to kill the babies. Uh, you, you look at Egypt, and you can follow all the way through the scriptures all the time when people understood there's a law above the law. God's law prevails over the wrongful laws of humanity. And so Christians for several millennia has followed that, that understanding of civil disobedience. So that was a godly act that they did. And the number of lives of babies that were saved is really staggering. But they have paid a high price for it. They were arrested. On one time, I saw some arrests where the police, I felt I went way beyond what was appropriate and really beat up on our people. And I complained to City Hall in Dallas. And, and so Operation Rescue ended up asking me to be a, a witness and stand next to each person. I got permission from the tactical, the chief of the tactical unit to stand three feet away from every arrest. Nobody had video cameras back then, but I had... I had purchased one because I was kind of fascinated with having one. So had one and we were allowed to videotape each one. And I said, well, I, I formed a friendship with the, 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 the tactical team and with the captain of the tactical team. And I stood there and watched every arrest. I testified on their behalf in, in court, this type of thing. Well, Flip Benham got arrested over and over. He was a free Methodist pastor at the time in the Dallas area. The man I respected then and I love him and respect him to this day. He lives on the East Coast now. His sons, by the way, are Jason and David Benham. If you remember them, you hear them. They travel and speak. They're twin boys. They're, they're remarkable men. And uh, so, so we were standing there and going through all that procedure time after time. And uh, he took a, picked up, got an office next to one of the abortion clinics intentionally so he could be next to them. And his little girl um, formed a friendship with Norma McGarvey, Jane Rowe herself. And uh, Flip formed a friendship, and, and Flip is, is gentle and loving and tender, and he eventually formed a friendship so much so he led her to Jesus. Flip was an evangelist. He was a prophet, Jeremiah. He was a powerful. I, I've had him come speak to my church. His Bible is worn out. He can't even, the pages won't even hold together. He devours the scripture so much, and he's an incredible prophet of God. So uh, Flip formed a friendship with Jane Rowe, Norma McCorvey of the famous Roe v. Wade. She came to know Christ personally. And he said, you need to go to church now, to a church. Well, she was terrified of the thoughts of going to a church. The reason she was terrified, she was convinced that all evangelical Christians hated her for what she had done. And Flip said, no. Now he, at that moment, was not pastoring. And he was a good friend. He says, I'm gonna go to Jim Garlow's church and you come. She says, I will not come in unless I see you on the steps of the church. She drove into our parking lot. She circled a number of times. And she was hesitant and scared to come in until she saw Flip Benham that day, Metroplex Chapel, uh, right in, in the Euless, right the closest, about the closest building to the airport on Highway 183 in Dallas, if you're familiar with that area. So she saw that we were, we, Flip was there. She had the courage to come in. I asked Flip and I asked her if I had permission to refer to the fact that she was present in the audience. And she and Flip said, yes, that would be fine. 
So at the end of the service, I said, we have a special guest here. I want you to know about the church family. Uh, Jane Rowe, Norma McCarvey of Roe v. Wade is present in our service and she received Jesus three days ago. Uh, she was terrified at the thoughts of coming to a church. The place erupted in applause and cheers for her. And I said, can you come to the door with me to greet people? They lined up. It took an hour and a half. People greeting her, weeping, hugging her, embracing her. And uh, it was a really profoundly uh, tender, tender moment. We're going to pick up the story right where you are. How many people showed up at the San Francisco March that you were in? And uh, let's go on with why people should care about this issue. God bless you. We have maybe 38,000 people in San Francisco. It was just huge. Uh, we had great speakers. and. Uh, along with the speakers, we had Archbishop Corleone with us. He remembers you, you, Jim. And it was just, it was so big uh, that at, at times, the Walk for Life West Coast, led by Eva and Dolores, it was bigger than any event in San Francisco, including the Giants, including the Niners. It was just huge. It was like, the walk was like 10 blocks long. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh I've had the privilege of being there, and it's really astounding when you when you think where you are in San Francisco. By the way, he referred a moment ago to Archbishop uh, Salvador Corleone. Uh, he's a man who stood boldly for marriage in California, defending marriage. He and I became very close friends through that experience, and uh, he is the one who, after great pastoral loving care, reaching out repeatedly in pastoral loving care, He's the one that informed Nancy Pelosi she could no longer partake of communion uh, in the Catholic Church by virtue of her positions in violation of not just Catholic polity, but actually violation of scripture. Uh, and he did, he's a, he's a passionately loving person, a caring person. And he tried, he really tried pastorally to minister to her in the midst uh, of that story. We interviewed him about that on the World Prayer Network, uh, maybe uh, six months, eight months, however long ago it was. Walter, tell us, Give us an overview of why we ought to care about babies in the womb. You and Lori just talked to us. My goodness, uh, Jim. The, the the babies in the womb is God's great gift to, to all of us. And you can find that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're particularly interested in it uh, because abortion in my community, in the Black community, is just disproportionately high and we're we're at a point now where uh black america is looking at what what i call irreversibility what i mean by that is that i'm looking at the total fertility rate and i go back as far as the 1850s and we're looking at a 7.9 total fertility rate and oh my goodness I, when i first looked at 7.9 jim I, I thought that was kind of low i i knew uh, black families that have much more uh, uh, children than just eight families, much bigger yeah, than, than that. My my grandmother alone was one of 14. So I thought seven, eight, that was kind of low. But 100 years later, it drops down to 5.6. And then by the time we get to Roe v. Wade, 1973, we're looking at 3.6. And then the 3.6 means what, uh, Walter? 3.6 is 
Is that, uh, tell us what that number is. Well, the, the, the 7.9 and the five and the three, the, that means that each woman has, is having, each family has got that many children, seven, eight children, five, six children, three, four children. That, that's what that number means. Now, you got to appreciate that in order for any demographic to survive, regardless of where you are in the world, every woman has to have at least 2.1. And so as long as you're above 2.1, you're not going to grow any, any larger, but you're not going to drop any further. And so we went from 7.9 all the way down now to 1.7. We're below replacement level. In other words, we're no longer replacing ourselves. If we get down to like 1.4, 1.5, we're looking at what I call irreversibility. There's no economic model in the world that will allow us to continue to come back from that lower fertility rate. That's a pretty amazing. Now, the, the, the African-American community has been hit by abortion, am I safe to say this, considerably more than even the Hispanic community and way more than the white or Caucasian community. Is that accurate? That, 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 that's very accurate. We may be what, 12, 13, 14% of the population, but we account for 36%, according to the CDC report, of all abortions in the United States of America. So we're disproportionately high. What can you tell me about Planned Parenthood's both history and present tense by virtue of location of their facilities in terms of targeting the African-American community? Planned Parenthood, uh, we've got reports where Planned Parenthood is located in communities of color. We're talking about 80%, 70-80% of their abortion facilities located in communities of color. Uh, none of us believe that's an accident. None of us believe it just happened to work, work out that way. And so it's becoming abundantly clear that Black Americans are, are, are still being targeted by Planned Parenthood, and that was started with Margaret Sanger back in the you know the early 1900s, 1920s, and really nothing has changed since then. Lori, jump in here. I can't obviously see you, but I hope you're nearby your hubby right now. Jump in here and, and teach us. Talk to us about what we need to hear on this night about these sobering statistics. Well, what we need to hear is that we need to wake up. It's not over yet, but it will soon be over if we don't, especially us as a people, black people, if we don't draw a line in the sand today and say no more. We're not going to Planned Parenthood. We're not going to any doctors. We're not going anywhere to destroy our children. We need to get back with God and trust God's plan. You know, Jeremiah, he says, I know I have plans for you. They are for good, not harm. Trust God. It doesn't matter how bad it may look to you in the human, in the natural. God has a plan and you have no idea how it's going to turn out. And if you thwart his plan, I can guarantee you it's going to turn out bad. But if you trust him and go with him, the direction he wants you to go in, He'll direct your path and he'll bless your life and our people will recover. When you, uh, when you, the two of you talk 
and give speeches and talk in front of abortion clinics or whatever, and and you point out that that, that abortion has taken the toll of African Americans or blacks considerably more than other ethnic groups. What what reaction do you get from people? It's interesting that black people are in shock when you tell them that uh, abortion takes more lives than any other cause of death in the African American community. They seem to think it's, you know, it's crime, you know, police. But when you actually put the numbers in front of their faces, they're in shock. They don't understand that we're the number one target of the abortion industry and abortion is eliminating us as a race, as it was designed by Margaret Sanger. We don't actually believe that. We tend to think that, oh no, it's not that bad, but that's not true. It's very bad. And if you actually look at the numbers in front of your face, they could look around them going into the abortion clinic. It's us. Who else is going into the clinic? I mean, even if you just did that, just a man on the street, okay, count how many women go into this clinic, how many of them are not African-American? The people on the outside may not be. The people telling you, come on in, kill your baby. They may not be black, but the people going into the building are us, almost almost 100 people. What, um, what, what's the new law that we have in California? Uh, it turns our stomach to even hear about it, but we've got we've to be honest about this stuff. What's California's new law as it relates to abortion? What is Gavin Newsom doing to try to kill more babies? Well, Proposition 1 passed, and Gavin Newsom is so heretical. Not only can you abort the babies through all nine months, you even have 28 days after the child is born where you can still choose to end that child's life, and it's not considered murder. And they are willing to pay you to come to California to kill your child. And, you know, and of course, you know, there's still UCSF and all the other hospitals are still harvesting the baby's organs and body parts and making additional money after they murdered the child. But California, you can kill the child up to four weeks after it's born. And Gavin Newsom's putting up signs across America in any state. Oh, yeah is standing against abortion for life, saying, uh, come to come, and he, he puts Bible verses on them, distorted, obviously, oh, yeah. and, and, and tell them, come to California, California will pay for you if you get here, and and some some major banks and businesses are helping fund flying women here yeah. to kill, kill their babies. Talk to us a little bit more about this harvesting of organs. That's so gruesome. All, all we can think of is, what comes to my mind is obviously Nazi Germany. Uh, uh, so talk about the harvesting of organs that's going on. Um, wow, that David Delayden, you remember him, the Center for Medical Progress, you know, did an amazingly exposing, you know, an expose of Planned Parenthood, the amount of money that they're getting for harvesting organs. And it's, it's almost like, and he's in trouble. That's, that's the part that's really crazy. Time Parenthood is on video saying they'll trade this many babies, body parts, brains, livers, lungs, you know, for a Lamborghini or, you know, a pay raise. And the children are being used in experiments. They're using the fetal tissue in horrible things like vaccines. And 
it's like you don't know how bad it is, but you you kind of do. I mean, they're humanizing mice by taking babies' tissues and you know commingling them with rodents. It's it is it's worse than Nazi Germany because we saw Nazi Germany, and now they've taken it to the next level because now you can't even get here. They harvest your organs from the womb. It's yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. What are, uh, yeah, and David, uh, he's paid a rather high price. He's been hauled into court, and I don't know what all yeah. they've done to him. In the, the, are you up to date on what's happened to him just simply because he exposed videos of Planned Parenthood and the discussions of harvesting body parts? Are you up to date on that, Paul? You know what's happened there? Yeah. Uh, well, David Delighton is, has, is, has, has been found uh they're, 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 they have found him guilty of I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he's the one that's going to end up even having to pay a gigantic fine or he's the one that's going to go to jail. This is unbelievable. The, the evidence against Planned Parenthood was overwhelming. As a matter of fact, it was so overwhelming that they literally admitted they were harvesting baby body parts. They admitted what was on video was true, was true. And yet they found something in, in, in David's process that uh, wasn't up to, uh, up to order, uh, according to them. And he's the one now facing jail time. And he's got to go back to court. He's, he's challenging it, but he's the one that, that's facing all the punishment. And this is just <laughs> awful what's happening with David Delight. Advise us uh, two things. One, uh, what what are the scriptures specifically that apply to the issue of the sanctity of life, <coughs> life in the womb? What does God say about this topic? And then second, well, well I'll let you go answer that one first. Well, I, I like Jeremiah 1, 5, uh, which is very, very popular. It talks about, uh, I knew you in the womb. God is talking specifically. But Jim, in Exodus chapter one, we have a late term abortion. And it's clear whose side Pharaoh is on. Pharaoh wants to kill that firstborn baby boy. It's clear whose side Pharaoh's on. It's also clear whose side the midwives are on. The women are saying, oh no, we, 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 can't, we can't do that. And they don't. And in the process, they end up saving the life of Moses. Oh my goodness. And of course, the line of Christ. It's, it's clear whose side God is on. God blesses the midwives. God blesses the midwives personally and their family. So uh, abortion, biblically, older and new, it, it's clear what God is expecting of us as Christians. Tell your, and Lori, you jump in at any time you want to hear. I don't have the advantage of being able to see you because we're on a phone line, of course. Um, but uh, jump in any time you want to. Uh, tell, help, help our audience know what we do. We're in a post-Roe era. Now, the good news is Roe is gone. The bad news has gone back to some states which are just obsessed with killing babies. Uh, so every state is, is different right now. Advise us what we all should be doing, can do. Okay. Well, and it's interesting. Pastor Childress at the Walk for Life West Coast said that there are 13 states in the United States where abortion is completely illegal. 
And it reminded me that America got started in 13 colonies. Mm -hmm. And so what we need to do as the people of God is we need to make sure that there is not a young lady, a young man out there that doesn't understand that we're here to help. We will wrap our arms around. It doesn't matter how it happened. It doesn't matter what happened. You know, Jesus came to this world through a teenager. You know, Mary was a teenager and she could have been stoned. She could have been put to death because she was found to be with child before she got married. But God didn't let that happen. He spoke to Joseph. We need to understand whatever the circumstances, God has an answer. God has a plan. And we need to make it clear that we're here to help. We're not here to hurt you. We're not here to cast judgment. We're not here to do any of those things. It's about you made a mistake if you made a mistake. And now you just need to get right with God. God will work it all out. And in states like the state that we live in in California, we need to keep on our knees. And we also need to make sure that we support the pregnancy resource centers that are out there that are reaching out to the young people in all kinds of ways. They're on all the different social media platforms. They got Twitter, they got you know, Instagram, you name it. There's help out here for you. Do not take a life because you think you have no other choice. There's always a choice. I try when I use language on Facebook or wherever, the conversation not to even use the word abortion anymore because people have been inoculated the word they think it's uh, uh like a, a, a operation on the liver or something they don't realize they don't grasp we we're, we're just inoculated to it and so i talk about dismembering a baby in the womb and with no anesthesia or tearing a baby apart limb by limb or cutting its spinal cord with no anesthesia so we personalize that, that little baby. Uh, I, I also want to just point out something, a lesson that I learned from a Catholic brother of mine <clears throat> in a conversation we had many years ago. He taught me quite a lesson when he said, the problem is not the judges that created a, a Roe v. Wade. The problem is not spineless legislators that won't champion the rights of the preborn. The problem is not the abortionists themselves. The problem is not the women wanting abortions or the men who are paying for them. The problem is not in any of those directions. The problem is the church and the church has allowed this to happen. And the blood is, on, I'm quoting this Catholic brother, the blood is on the hands of the church. And we have to repent for what has happened under our watch. If the church in America with 364,000 places of worship or 344,000 places of Christian worship in America, if the church, so-called Church of America, would have stood up, there would be nobody being killed, innocent blood flowing under the streets of all of our cities. This is on the hand of the church. We must repent. So when we get to the prayer time in a moment, I want us to remember that. But Walt and Lori, I want you to right now uh, role play for me what you say when you're encountering a young woman outside an abortion clinic, possibly with her boyfriend or somebody else that may have brought her, and she's ready to go in and have her baby killed. 
And what do you say to her? What's the most common thing you hear from her? And what do you say? What do you do? What do you say to her? Coach our audience, because what I'm hoping is numbers in our audience will want to go and join others that are at the nearby killing centers, the abortuaries in their own cities, on primarily Saturday mornings that go most often, uh, but they'll want to go there and they'll want to be a part of saving the lives of babies. Help us understand, what do you say? My goodness, when the, fir the first thing I, I want to do is let them know that I do believe that God loves them. And then I want to make it clear that we love them. Uh, before we get into all the other stuff we, we, we could talk about, I want them to understand and feel that they are loved. We're not judging anybody. We're not, we're not trying to hold anybody's feet to the fire. We just want to make it clear that we love them. And then I want them to understand that if there's anything we can do, we want to do it. And in some cases, it, it, it's a good idea to have that help readily available. I, mean, I can remember, I, I'd have pregnancy care centers on speed dial. I mean, I, I could get a, a doctor, I could get a nurse, I could get someone to come. We, we could help her immediately, regardless of what it was. And I, this is something that, that I was able to do uniquely. Uh, there are times when she would say, well, you need to talk to him and he's there. Well, then I would, I would be ready to talk to, to the man involved in it. And oh my goodness, I've learned so much about uh, this situation by talking with the men, bringing in women. In some cases, the, the men are just vile. The, the men are just evil. But in one case, this one man broke down, Jim. He said to me that he agreed with me that I was right. I said, well, if you think I'm right, what, stop her from going in. He says, no. He, he looked at me and said, I'm no longer a man. He was saying to me that he had lost his entire manhood. He says, I'm no longer a man. And I began to look at him and he says, I'm just a dog. And so I began to realize that both the men and the women need help, need real help. They're, they're not always going into abortion because they want to. They're oftentimes going in because there's no help available. None at the school, maybe none at her at, at at her house with her parents or his parents, and sometimes there's none at the church, and that's where it really breaks down. Let me ask Ned. Do you want to ask a question, Ned? Uh, you're the father of. Let's see, how many children do you have? Six. You have six children, and uh, Chris Lieber. If you want, what questions do you have for for Walt and Lori? If you want to ask them right now. You know, I think my, my biggest question is what are some some organizations that perhaps churches can get involved with, you know, especially smaller churches that we can help to provide practical support uh, for mothers who uh, are considering abortion but need a, need a way out, uh, especially if we're in an area where there's really not an abortion center nearby or relative uh, to us, but we still want to practically help the cause of, of saving these children? Oh, my goodness, that's a great question. I, I, I would highly recommend that people connect with the pregnancy care centers in their city, in their community, in, in their neighborhood. 
there are so many resources available to you by way of a pregnancy care center. And particularly, the, the services are absolutely free of charge. She doesn't need to have an appointment. She doesn't need to have a checkbook. She just needs to, to come on in and the pregnancy care center can help her right where she is. Oftentimes, she, she needs to simply talk to somebody. Oftentimes, she needs to know how she can feed or, or take care of, of the baby. Oftentimes, she just wants to hear uh, what are the, all of the options available. Or, or maybe there's somebody else in the same situation as she is that she can sit down and counsel with. She, she, all she's heard is what Planned Parenthood or the abortion clinics have shared with her, and she really doesn't know how many good things are available to her. Uh, Thank you. That's very helpful. One of the things that I heard criticisms against people like us is they'll say, you're not really pro-birth. Uh, you're not you're really pro-life. You're just pro-birth. I'll hear that phrase. You're not pro-life. You're pro-birth. You want to get the baby born, and you don't care about the baby after that. That's one of the criticisms. Anytime I hear that, I know with about a 99 degree percent of accuracy that that person is wanting to vote for a pro-abortion candidate. And that's their way of justifying it in, 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 their, in their mind. And, and so be aware when you hear that language, oh, you're not really pro-life, you're just pro-birth, you're pro birth. that that's what they're, they're justifying and they're, they're developing causes for you. And it depends that. A second thing, is if you hear a, a, a person who's running for office and you say, are you pro-life? He's, oh yeah, I'm pro-life. And if they use the language, I'm pro-life, but, and when you hear that, but then, then, then cut them off at that point. Say, no, wait a minute. I, no, they say, I'm personally pro-life because I don't care what, a, what their personal view is. I care what they're legislatively visceral about. If they're personally pro-life, but won't legislatively fight and say, well, like with the, what the excuse we always heard before, well, I'm personally pro-life, but Roe v. Wade is law, so there's nothing we can do about it. That is not true at all, as we certainly know now. And so if they say, I'm personally pro-life, but it stops it. I'm not concerned about what your personal views are. If you're running for office, what are you going to do legislatively to, to try to save babies in the womb? Are you willing, first of all, to admit this is, this is murder? This is killing. This is killing babies. This is tearing apart limb by limb, dismembering them. Are you willing to admit that? I, I met with one candidate one time who he had thought he had worked out a, a, a kind of an excuse where he could be sort of one foot in each camp. Well, I'm pro-life, but I'm also back and forth. And so I said, okay, okay, I, I get that. Let me ask you a question. If you're, you're in effect supporting that abortion has some legitimacy. He said, well, I said, okay, if that's the case, have you ever seen an abortion? Well, no. I said, okay, I'm glad you came to my office. I have a computer set up. We're gonna watch an abortion right now. When it's done, you tell me when that's over, if you could actually support the murder and the slaughter you just witnessed. I have asked many, many people, many candidates who said, well, yes, I, I'm, I, 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 the women's right to choose. I said, really, have you, have you watched an abortion? Have you ever seen one? Well, these people have not. I said, I want you to watch one. Well, you can watch them online. You watch an actual abortion. Watch the slaughter that takes place. Watch what that baby goes through. Then you contact me after that and you tell me if you can in good conscience support that slaughter, that murder, that dismembering of, of a baby. Chris Leeper, I'm going to go to you. I know you're having some technical difficulties. If you're able to be on right now, Chris, are you able to come on? I want you to have a chance because you are, you've stood so strongly for life and ask a question. Uh, Walt and Lori, let me ask, let me do this right now. Uh, what is your website and how can people encourage and support you? Because you're, you are standing strongly 
in the epicenter of the pro-life movement. And by the epicenter, I mean in the heart of the African-American community. You chose to stay there and be faithful to that community because that's they're taking the worst brunt of this horrific storm. So how can they encourage you, support you, pray for you? What's your website? Thank you so much, Jim and, and Rosemary. We, we love you. I want to let you know that they can reach us at the Issues for Life Foundation. It's literally issues4life.org, and that's our website. And from there, it's real easy to learn about all the things that we're doing. I would like to mention this real quick about the website. We have a library for, for the pastors. There's some of the brothers, they get tired of mainstream media, Jim. I mean, even they get tired of it. And so they come to our library and they can find resources that they can't find on mainstream media. And they learn so much there. So our website is literally issues, the number four, life.org. Click on our library and you can learn so much about the type of materials, videos that we share with the pastors. There's about 230 of these broadcasts we've done or more 200, maybe we're approaching 240 total. And I've never seen this much technical problem in one night. And we got Chris finally back on and we lost him for a while. Chris, I don't know how much you heard of this. What question, you're, you're a strong man standing, uh, defending the preborn babies. What question do you have for Walter and his bride, Lori, right now? Well, I, I want to know how we can pray for you guys and really surround you and uh, as, uh, as the end of the spear and get behind you. How can we uh, support you? You can you can support us by dropping by your our website. Actually, is this okay? Can I can I say you can become a donor? <laughs> that that would be that would be very very helpful for us. It, it's it's there are only a very few black five hundred one c threes completely pro life. That's all we talk about literally in the United States of America. There's only a few of us left. And that's primarily because there really isn't a donor base, uh, a pro-life donor base in, in Black America. So we really could use all the help we can get. Okay, let me stop right there. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever done this. Everybody just gives, uh, even if you say, I can only give a small amount. Let's just all give a small amount. I mean, <laughs> give a big amount if you can, obviously. But yeah, we've got it. Uh, Rosemary's pulled it up on her computer right now. Uh, Rosemary, why don't you pray over, over the financial blessing for them right now you have a heart for oakland yeah. you lived there your whole life until i brought you here to san diego but uh I'm the oldest of 10 children of a catholic family so we loved babies <laughs> and fought for them father we're so grateful and we thank you that we have an opportunity to invest in life father help us to see into what matters to you the most precious human beings made in your image, eternal souls. Father, this is the greatest seed that we can give of our resources into that which will last for eternity. So open our eyes and our understanding to invest in the future. Lord, help us to see that there are things that will pass away and dissolve, but we can contribute to what will remain and what is most precious to you. So for your glory and in your honor, 
And we, we do give this day our best gift to issues for life, to this marvelous couple, Lord, this bride and a groom who are just uh, an emblem, a banner of, of your miracle to humanity. And we thank you so much yes. for them. We, we bless them now. And we thank you that we have the privilege of doing so. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Mm. And uh, if we can, and so I just want to encourage us all go there. And if you, if you want to give just a small amount, let's just a whole lot of us give a small amount. Even if you give a big amount, yeah, you, 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 you have permission to give a big will, amount. It will multiply. The, this is the best investment. Don't invest in what was the thing that just collapsed? Uh, the oh, cryptocurrency. The, <laughs> no. Invest in Walter and Lori Hoy. Not in the as crib. They say, as they say, as they in the say, crib. <laughs> on the crib of the crib. Whoa. <laughs> We're from a PR firm here. This is, this is impressive. Uh, one, one of these days in America, Walter and Lori, one of these days, uh, I, I believe the day will come uh, when just like people go and tour the death camps and the concentration camps in Germany, mm -hmm. I've taken people to Buchenwald, Rosemary's taken people to Auschwitz. I believe, I believe that, and I've had people refuse to get off the bus. They don't, I said, no, I want you to go because I want you to understand the comparison in America with the abortion clinic. And I've had people, they start to vomit and literally had to go back to the bus. They can't take what they're seeing. They can't believe that humans treated other humans like this. And the day is going to come when there'll be tours of the killing centers, the abortuaries mm -hmm. in America. And, and, and little kids are going to turn to grandpa and grandma and say, where were you? Where were you when this was going on? Did you know about this? And you let this go? How How did you let this go? How did you let this happen? That day is going to come. It's going to expose. Truth comes out. Righteousness explodes out. It can be forced underground for a while, but it's going to come back uh, in a time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.